and welcome to another episode of Novel Not New, a Dren podcast. It's a show where we basically treat uh, storytelling, I mean, story-heavy um, games like they're kind of a book club, and we play through them and talk together. I'm Jennifer Uncle, your host, and joining me as always, uh, Olivia Joseph. Hi, I'm Olivia Joseph. And Six Stedmar. I've got this one bookmarked. <laughs> I did I did finish the game and then after I finished the game I, I posted on private consider these signs sojourned oh man <laughs> meeting sojourned uh, yeah but before we get into that have either of you been playing any uh, narrative heavy games lately uh, I did I didn't finish an, another narrative heavy, heavy game but I started one um, I started playing a uh, uh, Ace Attorney Spirit of Justice, which is the uh, 2017 Ace Attorney game that I think they only released digitally. Um, yes, but well, I, at least in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But I bought it. I bought it back in the day and played the first case, and then just didn't play anymore because uh, it was 2017 and a lot was happening. Um, and so recently a friend of mine has been sort of like agitating for me to give it the full treatment because uh, they say it's actually a pretty good Ace Attorney game. Um, and so I played through the first case and like a little bit of the second case. So I'm not super far, but I have had a very like positive experience with it and I, I've enjoyed it. It's been a really long time since I played an Ace Attorney. Yeah, I only recently got back into it because they did the Ace Attorney trilogy on Switch and Xbox and all that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I have the trilogy, like, right in my 3DS menu. I have, like, the whole trilogy, and then I have uh, uh, Dual Destinies and then Spirit of Justice lined up. And I think I have the Professor Layton crossover game somewhere around here. Um, but... Uh, it was just like, it's been a while, and I, I booted it up, I was like, oh, right, Ace Attorney's really good. Like, it's really fun. So, yeah. let me let me, let me me remember. Uh, Spirit of Justice is the one where you're dealing with uh, the, the monk lawyer? Uh, the, the official Exorcist prosec- one? The official prosecutor hasn't shown up yet, but Phoenix, it's sort of like two plots, um... Where it is Phoenix in um, the the country of Kuranin, um, mm-hmm. he where he goes to visit Maya, who's doing a sort of like aesthetic, aesthetic training, and um, in the first case he ends up defending his like uh, his like guide who is accused of like murdering a monk at the temple where he works, um, and the like hook of the like hook of that plot is that this is a country where there are no defense lawyers because the uh you know like religious slash state leader of the country does a spiritual practice to see the last moments of any like victim of a crime and they just use that to instantly convict whoever's been accused um phoenix Wright sure does roll into this country and then immediately start disrespecting their entire religious way of life Oh dear! <laughs> oh, he's just uh, Phoenix is just a big asshole. Um, in a, in a fun way, um, I think um, you know the narrative is always like 
here here's phoenix like here's phoenix about to be murdered in this courtroom because he just can't shut up for two seconds um uh he does get into like an a verbal sparring match with the head of state of this country like within two hours of getting off the plane um which is very phoenix right of him Mm -hmm. yeah my my memory of that game is that i felt the um the vibes of of the way they do stuff in in korean by the end i felt they they wore it a little thin, but it is a fun dynamic at least at first, and maybe you'll feel differently. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, so there's two two last things I wanted to bring up. One, no Ace Attorney game should ever have voice acting because it should be illegal for anyone to speak the names of the characters out loud because it just strips the pun so bare that <laughs> it's sort of intolerable. Um, the like little urchin boy who is leading phoenix around the country is named i'll be your guide um and the second somebody says that out loud it's like oh ow 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 hold on (laughs) oh i forgot that they added voice acting to the later games that's really something not in all um not it's not like consistent voice acting but it shows up in like anime cutscenes. um and when it does it's always a little jarring like to me ace attorney is a game where everyone speaks in little beep boops yeah yeah Um, and i just think that the beep boop should have continued throughout the entire game uh the other thing is that um i had forgotten that ace attorney was a franchise that made the transition from 2d sprites to 3d models really well like i find a lot of the animations like really charming uh they really capture what i liked about the sprites um i find a lot of games will like make a transition to 3d models and just lose a lot of the visual appeal for me uh, but the the models in uh, Spirit of Justice really feel like, oh, you just took like an old school Phoenix Wright sprite and then you made it a 3D model and now you can do like even weirder stuff with it. Um, there is a monk in the first case who like there is a monk in the first case who starts off sort of like soulfully playing his instrument and by the end is like doing a metal concert uh, about how Phoenix Wright is a demon and needs to be killed immediately. <laughs> he's not wrong uh they really pitch down his little beeps so it's really funny like to approximate death metal vocals so you just have the little <laughs> but it's like <laughs> his name is peace love and understanding it sounds all right well he couldn't possibly have killed anyone <laughs> uh. The other thing, the last thing that uh, Spirit of Justice really taught me. So, like, when I was playing Umineko, I had in my head, like, oh, yeah, Battler is a bit of a Phoenix Wright riff. Like, I knew that intellectually, but it wasn't until I played an Ace Attorney game and I was like, oh, Battler is Phoenix Wright's even more disrespectful teenage son. Like, the parallels are so much more obvious when you put both games, um, when you just put both games next to each other. Mm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, there are certain there are certain PV shots that they switch that they switch to in Umineko where he's doing the Phoenix Wright pose, uh, complete with the blue background and everything. So it, it's not even trying to hide their inspiration there. Mm-hmm. Which like I got, but I didn't get until I <laughs> saw Phoenix Wright, and it was just like right, right, yeah. I also had this impression that like. Omineko came out before Phoenix Wright, but that was just me, like, looking at the art style and making, like, a time judgment. Um, Omineko, the first Omineko is a few years after the first Ace Attorney. 
I'm sure. Yeah, the Umineko game looks like that just because all of their games kind of look like that. Mm-hmm. It's artistic choice, and it's great. Yeah, it it adds a lot of charm to it. Even if I decided to disregard that charm and playing, and I'm and I'm playing with the PS3 sprites. You're a fool. <laughs> yeah. The I, I I the only like the only I haven't played very much Umineko. I've played a tiny tiny bit. But I swap back and forth, and, like, if you're not there for, like, the gremlins, I don't know why you're playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the fan-patched PS3 ones look a bit nicer than the manga gamer ones, which are just completely sexed-up, awkward uh, sprites. But, uh... Yukishio 7 does not know how to draw hands, and that's valid of him, and he should never have to change. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But yeah, that's the other visual novel that I played. Mm-hmm. How about you, Six? Um, so, I, unfortunately, I am I am not in a great state for this. Um, I started like started started the very beginning of of Thirteen Sentinels Aegis Rim, which is a combination uh, strategy game visual novel about time traveling high schoolers fighting monsters in mecha and i'm like this sounds great um and also it's a it's a vanilla wear so the art's really great right um and i started it up and literally within two minutes um uh like the a high school girl had like hit the hit the special thing to summon her mecha for the first time and then was like oh wait oh no why did it make me naked in this mecha and i turned the game off um <laughs> <laughs> I have talked to other people who have played the game and they're like, yeah, it it does that sometimes. It ultimately doesn't go anywhere too creepy. It just is the, that just happens. And it's like, okay, I guess I can stomach that. But that's a really bad first impression. <laughs> so I just bailed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes that stuff happens and it's like, man, I'm 27 years old. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> just... There is there is something about like specifically like when I see uh, a work of fiction have an underage person go oh no where are my clothes I just stop I'm gone I'm bye <laughs> turns out <laughs> that is incredibly valid I had this yeah. experience I had this experience with an anime I was watching recently um where I was just like Man, if you guys could just be this horny about grown people, I would just be like, okay, whatever. But for some reason, you're really stuck on high schoolers, and it's just fucking weird. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not I not all right. I hate culture, and I'm going to destroy it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jen, have you played any any story stuff? Um, so. I, it's been a, it's been a rough few months and, uh, I have been playing a little bit through Danganronpa too, so I can do my Danganronpa podcast about it. But, uh, for the most part, I have a bunch of stuff that I'm still meaning to get back to like, uh, Umineko and, uh, Code Realize and things like that. But it's like, yeah, I'm just really worn down right now. I'm hoping that, uh, after the stuff that's coming up this month, this upcoming month, um, I might be in a slightly better headspace just because 
a lot of things that seem to be hanging overhead will just be done with for one in one way or another. Not done with, but just not as tense as it is right now. So, yeah. Fingers crossed that things turn out okay. Yeah. But yeah, on that note, let's uh, uh, let's switch over to the game we're here to talk about, which is Signs of the Sojourner. I'm pronouncing Sojourner correctly. I believe it's Sojourner. At mm-hmm. least that's how I would. That's how I would say that word. Okay, Sojourner sounds right. Yeah, it it came out in May 14th, uh, 2020, by Echo Dog Games. Wait, and, this uh, year? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. That's just. I just thought this was a game from last year that I had missed. Um, I didn't realize it came out months ago. Uh, Listen, it came, it came out in 2020, but yeah. also if you think about it, it came out last year. <laughs> yeah, I just need a, I just need a moment to like reorient. Um, uh, hell, <laughs> I you don't even... just feel tired. Yeah, I don't even have like a witty reference I can use to deflect from my mental torment. But like, whoa. <laughs> okay. So two things. One, that's the Steam release, so it's possible it may have come out on a different platform earlier. And uh, two, it had been talked about for a few years as an Indiegogo thing. So I feel like a lot of press for the Indiegogo uh, campaign happened like last year or two years ago. So thinking of it as a thing that came out last year, I feel like that's pr- that's a pretty fair assumption. No, I officially, I even, even in my, like, list of things that I'm doing, I recorded it as a 2020 game. I don't know what's happening to me. <laughs> I'm just dying. <laughs> Ugh. Cute dog in this game, though. Oh, yeah. Um, is it, is the dog named Thunder for everyone? The, the the dog is named Thunder. I believe okay. after I believe after a developer's dog. Yeah, but there were three developer dogs, and so I was like, does it randomly pick from one of the three developer dogs? And apparently, it's just Thunder every time. If we all got Thunder, mm-hmm. that would be cute. Anyway, what is it, what's the what's the basics of this game? So it's a it's a deck building game about uh, conversations. Essentially, you. You're going out with this caravan um, to basically bring goods back to your hometown, Bartow, and you more or less inherited the caravan route and uh, the shop itself from your deceased mother. And you're you're told pretty much straight up that uh, your mother was not very popular with a certain group, and because of that, you're going to have to fight tooth and nail to keep this to keep your town on the caravan route to keep, to basically keep the town alive. So there's a lot of pressure there, but you're also trying to, you're also going on this somewhat chill journey, meeting new people and trying to find, find out more information about what your mother was like um, when she wasn't back home. I liked it. (laughs) 
<laughs> more than, um, more than I didn't like it. Um, this was a. I feel like this was a game that was received with a lot of like a lot of sort of like mixed feelings. Um, and I I feel like the coverage that I had heard of it was mostly sort of like mixed to negative. I think a lot of people were frustrated with it, and I know that some people on this call. Um, are not particularly <laughs> generous to this game. So I want to start out of the gate that I think I also had a mixed reception of it, but I'm, I would like to, for for the sake of sort of a podcast synergy, and also personally, I want to emphasize my positive experiences more than my negative experiences, because I think it was a little, I think it was a game that was rougher on the edges, but for me, more worthwhile than not. There were certainly things that I really liked about it. Like, I love wow, the Wow, I didn't know Chen was... <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, I, I really like the concept of going around and meeting people and working through the awkwardness of conversation by matching patterns with the cards that we have. And, like, sometimes they'll have a symbol that you don't have just because you're going around the world and learning how to speak with people. So... There's inevitably some conversations that will go south, and that's okay. And it has a really nice look to it, too. Like, mm-hmm. the, like, the sort of aesthetic, the aesthetics of this game are very nice. I realized about halfway through, I was like, what is, what are some of these designs reminding me of? And I realized it's the Muppets. Some of these characters are incredibly, like, mm. puppet design. Um <laughs> Matilda especially because she doesn't seem to have a lower torso she just sort of has like a tr- her, her torso just sort of extends to the bottom of the screen and she is a very cartoonish character so I was like man if you were in Electric Mayhem I would just be if you just put Matilda next to the Electric Mayhem Muppets I'd be like yeah that makes sense you look exactly like that yeah I, I felt that way about uh, Haruto and Tosuto the two brothers that are butting heads over their methods of making vinegar. Like Mm -hmm. there's just something about their um, round design with the very gigantic Coke bottle glasses. That was like, okay. Yeah. These definitely seem like, uh, these definitely seem like cartoon characters in a fun way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think my feelings about this game is I like, I'm glad I played it. I like a lot of what its goals are, and I think as far as mechanics and themes, it fails basically every step of the way for me. Damn, okay. Old uh, opening. Uh, it's I, I, I it's 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 hard because like I don't wanna like I, I genuinely appreciate this game and I don't wanna be mean to it, but I do think it's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I I had a, I've had a line that I wanted to get. I think this is the only game I may have ever played where I am better at the core mecha- uh, at the core concept that is at play in the game than the main character of the game. I'm 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 like, man, I'm so good. At, I'm good at conversations. I'm better than this at conversations. <laughs> that's, that's a big part of the problem with the game. Yeah, it's it's a very punishing game that. Like, they don't say it outright, but... And they also don't mechanically encourage it, because if you start a new game, it basically teaches you everything once over. 
the tutorial and the little pop-ups every time you get introduced to a new card. But uh, it's definitely a game that feels like it's been made. It's made to play. You're supposed to play it more than once because. Like, if you don't know what you're doing in that game, it's fucking rough. And even if you do know what your goals are, sometimes the game just isn't having it, and you'll get thrown into situations entirely out of your control, where you're just failing dialogue option after dialogue option because you've collected too many fatigue cards and you have nothing you can play here. Yeah, so the the way that the cards work is that there are four symbols, later five symbols, um, in the game, and they all sort of represent a way of, you know, communicating with people. Um, and so you are, you have a hand of five cards, your conversation partner has a hand of five cards, you're trying to basically, and each card has a symbol on the right side and a symbol on the left side, and you are trying to match the symbols on cards, um, until you reach a certain, you know, a certain, you know, length of, of a match, and then you... If you successfully do that, you get a little white conversation bubble. If at any point you have a mismatch, you get a black conversation bubble. Um, and you, you know, and the conversation is, you know, a sort of a positive conversation if you get all the white bubbles first, and is a negative conversation if you get all the black bubbles first. And I think a core part of my frustration with that design is that your is that you need a full match to get a white bubble and a single mismatch will get you a black bubble. I think Mm -hmm. that is, I think that is a very unbalanced um, set of conditions. And I was repeatedly frustrated by it. Um, It's sort of like, it sort of makes conversations textually. The thing I worry that conversations are in my head, like, Oh, a single misstep. And then I, I'm, it's a black conversation box and we're not getting along, but I, it, like, conversations and, like, communicating with people is a lot different than different than that. And it mm-hmm. feels, like Jen said, is very punishing. And I think the game is very punishing um, in a way that doesn't feel satisfying or accurate to the thing that the mechanics are trying to simulate, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a situation where, like... Failures can build on top of failures. Like, Mm -hmm. if you play a card that the other person can't match with, um, it can be a situation where... Or you play a card specifically that doesn't match their symbols. That card will be the next card they're starting out with. And then they can't match those symbols either. So you're just stuck in this situation where, okay, I played the, the only card I could here, but it was still the wrong card. And now... I'm two squares behind because of how the card system works. Yeah, the first time I figured out in conversation that a fatigue card was a guaranteed, like, two, or a near guaranteed, like, two two failures was just, like, infuriating like no else. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the fact that it auto the game autosaves really frequently and really, like like, unforgivingly is another huge part of this. Like... You, you know, you can get into, and also the random generation is really, like, the, how do do I phrase this? Like, the seeding on conversations is also really unforgiving. Like, if you click on a conversation with someone, you're in the conversation with someone. The game has already determined what cards you're going to draw, and I believe under 
under, well, not that it's determined what cards the other person is going to play, but I think the algorithms are really simplistic in that I definitely tried to experiment with save scumming a few conversations. Um, and I was just, and I was in situations where I was just stuck talking to this one person. I couldn't like back out or like reorder conversations or even like, you know, basically like, like re-roll my hand. The conversation was just proceeding the exact same way every single mm-hmm. time. And there mm-hmm. was nothing I could, you know, do to influence it, which I think is fair as an art. It's it's sort of fair as an artistic choice, but I think combined with the other ways that the game is really punishing, it definitely feels like you, you know, you just, you get in there and there's nothing that you can do. And you are just going to bomb this conversation absolutely, no matter how important the actual conversation is. And it's just not, it's not very satisfying um, to to do. Yeah. Um, in some cases, you know, I don't want to be, I'm like stumbling with this because I don't want to be like, oh, it sucks when I lose in the video game. Because um, I'm not just saying that. I feel like there are too many situations in which I just have no way out in this video game. And it feels like my, there's not so much, there's nothing that I can do as a player to influence some of these conversations. Um, And so I don't feel like I am a, I don't feel like I'm playing the game. I feel like I'm just getting handed wins and losses sometimes. Yeah. And the really infuriating part about that is like, after the first trip, you're kind of encouraged to branch out a little bit and leave the caravan to pursue your own ends like at there are there are points where if you want to find out more about your parents or your mother specifically you're gonna have to leave the caravan to get to a certain place because the caravan won't be there at a time when you need to find out certain information or you you have a situation where like in my first playthrough uh klaus ended up stealing a painting from me and um i someone nearby was like oh yeah if you if you want to chase her down you can basically go over to this town way out there and i was like oh okay we'll go on this little adventure and i went on that adventure and it it dangled certain possibilities in front of me like oh klaus is flirting me with me here so maybe if i do well um we'll have some interesting adventures together or something or there's someone here who needs a ride to a different place so they can start their new job. And in both cases, I just had too much fatigue and didn't have the right symbols. So it felt like I was punished for going out of my way because there wasn't shit I could do there. Related to that, I made I made a choice in my playthrough that was like, okay, I'm going to stick to the caravan route. Um, just because that is the simplest thing to do. And I'm not going to experiment much. And if that means sacrificing, like the finding out what was up with my mom part of the game, I'm good with that. I'm going to focus on like doing things for people and working on the town. And then in the final trip of the game, the game went so out of its way to allow me to take detours to find out what was going on with the player character's mom anyway, that it felt very like, you know, um, if I had made those choices to sort of sacrifice the ease of the caravan route to try to find things out in the earlier game, I would have been really upset. And and having decided to go on the caravan route already, it was kind of like, 
it felt very much like they asked me to make a choice and then were like, oh, don't worry about it, though. Like, here you go. Like, you have no reason not to go off the route in this point. Here, just go and get the side conversation. And it Mm. was, was, again, sort of a frustrating thing of like, you know, I felt like, again, I felt like I didn't really have much of an impact on the way the game was playing out as a player. Um, Because even though I had tried to make a choice and sacrifice one possibility, the game was still like just putting the other possibility in front of me. Yeah, there are situations where uh, that I that I've encountered um in this game where like for example, you can't unless you play a specific type of card, you can't see the other person's hand, right? Um and so I had a conversation uh, with a person who was like, "Oh, this person is squares and triangles." And I'm like, "Okay, I've only got a cup. I don't have very many squares because I don't find squares to be very good, but I've got lots of triangles. I can work with this." And I was like, "Okay, uh triangle triangle and they immediately played square square and then i was like okay square triangle and they played square square again and the conversation was over mm-hmm. or i had a conversation where i got in i had five fatigue from from it being fairly late in the game and it was a conversation with two possible failure points and i loaded up and my opening hand was five fatigue cards and i was like mm-hmm. okay i guess i'll just go fuck myself yeah um I I had a uh, so the leader the leader of the caravan is a woman named Nadine, um, and she is introduced as sort of like a kind of like brusque um, mentorly, but not sort of like overly kind person, you know. Um, and uh, there is a moment where you know she is always at you know every time you click on her, it says that she is a sort of circle triangle person. Um, and then later in the game, there was a conversation that I got into where she was playing all of the, all of the cards, basically. Um, and we got into some trouble in that conversation because she, you know, I couldn't match with her. And it was a moment where I got out of that conversation and I was like, oh, that was actually pretty interesting. Like, I thought, I thought that I had a handle on Nadine, but actually, like, there are parts to her personality that I didn't anticipate and couldn't, like, work with. Which makes sense because she's always traveling all over this world. So of course she sort of has a little bit of everything and can talk to all kinds of people. That's pretty cool. And then like there were other conversations where that same thing kept happening, but way worse than the Nadine conversation. So I was kind of like, oh, well, I got it. I had that experience. Stop. Why is this man just playing constantly? Uh, why is this man playing constant diamonds when it says he's a triangle guy? <laughs> What's the yeah. deal with that? Um, yeah, the, um, I eventually, like, when I had success in this game, it was by following a pretty, like, rigid deck building plan that I just flagrantly stole off the wiki for this game, which is to, um, load up on accommodate cards that you get from your best friend Elias, um, and then load up on cards that share the same like that have the same symbol on both sides and that have double symbols so just like try to build that deck for maximum versatility um and it served me pretty well but it was a sort of thing that i i was only sort of struggling to get to on my own and if i hadn't found it um i don't think i would have done very well and once i started doing it it felt like the optimal way to play the game like i i don't know what i I don't know how I would play this game if I'm not building for that exact deck. And that, again, very punishing um, for a game that 
what isn't very satisfying to be punished in, you know? It's interesting because I had a I had a different like, oh, obviously this is the build. Um but I ended up really resenting my build. It was really good, but I felt like okay, so my build was chatter, right? Mm-hmm. Chatter mm-hmm. is an ability that makes it so that once you play a card, you just get to play another card. Um and I just built a deck where basically every card in my deck had chatter. Mm-hmm. So um, you, were just, you were just playing cards. You'll, right. You'll so, play the game so, by yourself. Exactly. And it was really unsatisfying. Like, as far as, like, the, the social, like, metaphor, it was like, oh, the way to get along with people is to not fucking let them talk. It's like, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I was just running the deck every time. I was just like, like okay, bam, 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 bam. And, be- and it's because even my last card was a chatter. That meant I started off the next hand being able to play. And so that it was bam, 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 bam. And they were just sort of standing there, like gently smiling as I just stream of consciousness at them. And I was like, this feels really bad, actually. <laughs> the, uh. Yeah, chatter was my, was my most hated ability. I tried to avoid it at all costs because I had, I had such bad luck with draws. I was like, oh my God, why do I want to draw twice before the other person plays? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and then when an NPC had chatter, I'd be like, yes, 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 play the cards. Play the cards. <laughs> I don't want to play a single card in this game. And near the end, I ended up being... I ended up uh, getting two of my core cards with preparation on them, which allows you to choose your next draw. So I was threading a really thin needle at the end of the game, having like so much fatigue and just playing the preparation cards one after another, trying to really game my draws, um, which was that part was like satisfying, but it felt it felt really like trying to cheat the game um, Mm. at that point. Mm hmm. Yo, fuck Nadine. I love Nadine. I'm <laughs> back. Our... I'm back on Nadine. Nadine and I are best friends forever now. In our DMs, we were... At first, you two were down on Nadine, and I was like, Nadine seems alright. But here's the thing. The game's like, hey, you need to get three items every time to keep the store profitable, right? Mm-hmm. I got three items every time. I followed the convoy. Every conversation I had with Nadine... I succeeded, and then then at the end she was like, "Yeah, I'm taking the caravan away. Go fuck yourself, Nadine." <laughs> yeah, it's um, as Elias hints at, and as Nadine even tells you, if you have a good conversation with her, it's like, look, even if you do super well here, um, the Rilkers kind of um, are pressuring us to drop the town entirely. So there is that sense that even if you do super well with the, well. There is a sense that even if you do super well at the shop, something bad might happen. But um, the way that they ha- the way that she continuously says it is, if you could prove to me that the store is super great, then I'll I'll fight back. And apparently that wasn't enough. Yeah, she just fucking didn't. We had multiple conversations like in town where she's like, "Damn, this store is doing really great. You're good at this. I like this town." And then she just fucking you know threw me to the wind. The game set up a goal. I hit that goal, and then the just game just went nah. Now, see, that's really interesting because I had the exact opposite experience with that plot line where I I had two run I had a run I had some runs where I did really well. Like I came back and that store was completely stocked. Um and 
Um, it was super stocked right before the second to last run where there's a large earthquake that destroys a, a lot of things in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't. And then after the earthquake, like I couldn't get anything after the earthquake. Like I felt like I was really grabbing the bare bones of stuff. Mm. Um, so I was like, oh, oh Jesus. Um, like, just got to really... not let them talk. That's how you get stuff. Just don't let them talk. <laughs> well, I was, e I was succeeding with people was the thing. I was succeeding conversations, but people couldn't offer me anything, mm. you know? Um, because after the earthquake, people really start moving around. Um, mm -hmm. And so you'll go to certain towns being like, oh, yeah, um, you know, I'm supposed to get scrap metal to repair buildings in my hometown. Here's the one place I know where somebody sells scrap. I go to that. <laughs> I go to the place where the guy sells scrap and the guy is selling fish now. And also he doesn't give me the fish because he is a terrible conversationalist. And I failed my last three conversations with that kid. But whatever. Um and so I, I got to the, back to the town, like on my last thing, I got like, on my last run, I got like two things. So I came back and I was like, I'm so screwed. And then I had the last conversation with Nadine and very much like you, Six, I rolled up with a hand of four fatigue. And so I was like, oh, I'm so screwed. I bombed that conversation with Nadine and she still kept the, 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 and she still kept the town on the route. What the fuck? So I was like, huh? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> what, so what did I do? Yeah. So this is something that I realized during my second playthrough and was the thing that made me quit uh, a fifth of the way into that second playthrough is that, um, like, even if you're going back into it, like, okay, I'm going to play more optimally this time, the game just changes in ways. Like, um, there are certain things that you either will see or won't see just because the game decided to turn them on or off. And, like, in the first... Like, the first trip, I was used to being like, oh yeah, I'll just get the bacha um, from this lady. But this time, she was like, oh, yep, we're all sold out. Even if I did super well in the conversation. And uh, I didn't run into the painter that time. I didn't run into anyone that could give me things. So, despite doing well that first trip, unlike the first time I played it, where I had like four or five items in the shop... Um, this time it was like, oh yeah, I brought back one thing. And it's like, okay, this, like, it's interesting to have a game that changes every time you play it, but the way that it piles next to how easy it is to fail in it, it's, there's a part of me that's just like, I really don't like the way this game handles randomization. Mm. Yeah, I had to, I... I sort of did the opposite, where I got a fifth of the way through my first playthrough, restarted into the second playthrough, and yeah, I could see, like, I, in the first town, I talked a lot with Isabella in the first playthrough, in the second playthrough, I didn't see Isabella until, like, my third trip, um, and instead it had me talking to Marquez, who is a, you know, is, like, very opposed to Isabella, and the game says, you know, you don't want to get, the game says, like, you don't want to get along with everyone, because there are some people you don't want to get along with. And I don't like Marquez, but I needed goods. And she's literally the only person in the town in my second playthrough that could sell me goods for a really long time. So we had to get along. Um, and it reached a point at the end where once I had like enough characters in, in that town that I could talk to and get stuff from, I eventually was like, all right, bye, Marquez. <laughs> black, <laughs> black, black bubble, black bubble, black bubble. We're done with that. Um... <laughs> But yeah, it's just like it, it 
is it's again sort of a thing where the game seems to roll dice for certain things behind the scenes and you can just get you can just get screwed and there's nothing you can do um i haven't been very good at emphasizing the positives which i said i wanted to do (laughs) but yeah it's it's frustrating um there are a lot of frustration points here Mm -hmm. but one thing i will mention that's kind of a positive is that uh i love the music in this game like Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I'm going to pick up the soundtrack on Bandcamp in a little bit just because the tunes are incredibly catchy and they do contribute to the sense that we're going on a fantastical adventure um, in through the through various places that are either well-traveled or overlooked and things like that. Like, they do a lot of a great job. They do a great job with um, giving it, like, an almost Western sound to it. I've got the really sparse, like, guitar background track where it's just silence and then it goes, bow, wow, mm-hmm. bow, wow. <laughs> that, like, two-second <laughs> little guitar riff has just been in my head for the last two weeks. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I think, yeah, we talked about how, you know, the aesthetics, both, like, visually and orally are really good, um... Uh, I think they're, I think also like the, the conversation sound effects are very pleasant. Like when mm-hmm. you, when you get all the stuff lined up and it just goes like beep, 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 beep. And then it does a little shing when you get it. It's like, yeah, yeah, I did do that. I'm really good at talking to people. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think another thing is the game is, I liked a lot of the writing in the game. Like, um, there's a lot of, um, the game has a sort of penchant for the ways that sometimes you'll be talking to someone and they'll just say something completely bizarre and you just keep going. Um, Mm -hmm. Like the first time I talked to Matilde, she was like, yeah, I'm out here. I'm selling tea. Um, It's kind of rough out here, Uh, but that's what life is. You're just moving from one decaying, decrepit location to another. And I was like, huh, (laughs) sorry, but we were back to playing cards. Um, Tocito had a great line um let me see i wrote this down he said like you know no jests and no japes i am the most powerful man in the world i even blow the bottles everyone is my special little child (laughs) it was just like yeah yeah that's the shit that old men say when you talk to them for too long and they just sort of say something absolutely bizarre and you're like you know what god bless you yeah, and there are certain people that you initially have a good impression of that you turn on over time just because you get to know them better. And, mm-hmm. like, Aurora specifically, like, when you initially encounter her, it's situations like, oh, yeah, this is the lady that taught my mom guitar. We're kind of bonding a little bit over memories from that because she recognizes me, saw my locket, that kind of thing. But she's um, petty but... bourgeois. She's yeah. fucking petty bourgeois. <laughs> Yeah, like, after the big disaster that uh, leads to people basically moving to other towns as refugees and stuff like that, the next time you see her in that situation, she's basically being like, oh, you're not going to let any of these people in here, are you? And it's like, fuck off, lady. And I was completely satisfied with the fact that I just kept getting black markers with her in conversations after that, because it's like, I don't want to be friends with someone like this. She sucks. Yeah, they use, um, 
one thing I do think they do very well is they use the parameters of the different conversations to sort of characterize people. Like, some people you have to play a lot of cards before the conversation resolves positively. Um, and then some people are more laconic. Like, the fisherman guy, I think you only have to play, like, four cards or so before you get a positive bubble. Because he just doesn't talk much. Um, except that he has chatter, you know? So it's like a, it's an interesting sort of characterization of him where, you know, you don't need to talk for super long to him. And he'll just, he'll just happily fill all that up himself. Um... And then with the musician woman, I my last conversation with her was like one negative bubble. You know, it was very and that to me, you know, I looked at the parameters of that conversation. I was like, oh, she is she is mad. And if I get on her bad side even slightly, this conversation is done. Um, and I did get on her bad side and she vindictively like threw out a hint at my mom's past before ending the conversation. And I was like, wow, OK, <laughs> all right. She's just like we had this bad conversation and she's like, she hadn't even talked about the main character's mom before this. So like, it felt really like petty and vindictive. And one of those cases in where a negative result felt really satisfying. Cause I was like, yeah, this is a, it felt really realistic. Like, mm. uh, like this is a kind of person that I have known. And I came away from that conversation. Like, yeah, it didn't go well, but like, fuck her. <laughs> I'm in the right. I'm in the right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that part, that part was satisfying. I, I do like the, the ways that they like characterize people in conversations like that. And I like the ways that sometimes people's, um, sometimes the ways that people's symbols change over time Mm. and that that also reflects characterization. Um, there's a guy who, there's a character who meets a lot of misfortune in the game and afterwards his speech is only, you know, it's only squares um, which represents sort of like very frank, casual speech, and the fifth symbol that comes into the game that represents grief. So conversations with him are really like this guy is just in a bad, a bad place. Mm-hmm. And even when he has a positive conversation, it's just because he's speaking super frankly about all the stuff that he's going through. Um, and I think those are good moments that like it is able to characterize the people in the game. I do feel like I get frustrated because one of the things is it, it, it doesn't, there isn't any, failures aren't context sensitive, right? If you fail, you get a black bubble line. And like, if you fail because you played like in an empathetic and like kind line, someone will still say like, hey, that was uncalled for. And it's like, that's, no, that's not, that doesn't make sense as a reaction to what I just said. Um, Mm -hmm. or also that's one of the things is the way stuff interacts where like, again, I get the gameplay mechanic, but once you make the direct translation of like symbols only relate to each other. So like, oh, you can't react to grief by being sympathetic. That, that doesn't work. You can only react to someone crying by also crying. It's like, that's not how conversations work. Mm -hmm. I was reading a... I, I well, I was reading a transcript of like a waypoint radio segment about this game, um, where um, uh, Austin Walker I think was talking about the sort of power of the accommodate card, in that um, you if it is a if you're 
which allows you to copy the previous card. So if you're copying a card that has the same symbol on both ends, it's a free it's a free match and it matches with any card like that. But if there is a two, you know, if the symbols on the card are mismatched, you can't copy that card and match with it. And um I think I think he said something like, you know, it's like in a conversation where you can't just repeat what somebody says back to them. Um you can't just repeat everything and, and have it work, you know? Um mm-hmm. That's not what conversations are like. And I was like, with due respect, it is what conversations are like. That's the entire like thrust of reflective listening, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. uh, not, uh, which again, it is not literally just repeating something back. But I think it is a point at which the things that the game is trying to say about conversations through the mechanics, they are sort of clunky and they don't really line up with my experience of like what interacting with people in the world is like mm-hmm. um i think the deck system makes it very deterministic um and like you're or like in a way that your ability to converse reflects your character's sort of like real character um in a way that I think is not really true of the way people interact. Like there is no no... code switching. Yeah, there's and or there is, but it reflects like you can only code switch if like part of you as a person has changed, you know, Mm. there's no way in this game to sort of like recognize a way that people interact that is not sort of inherent to you in some way and adopt it and get along with those people. Um, that's not something you can do in the game. I'm autistic. That's something I do a lot. <laughs> so it was, yeah. it was like, you know, my experience of conversations and like interacting with people is just not reflected by the ways this game like mechanizes conversations in a totally. lot of ways. Um, uh, the the sides of the Sojourner lady uh, goes home to her parents after learning about swears and is literally unable not to swear in every conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I get why mechanically it has a situation where after every conversation you have to take one card from them and discard one of your own to kind of... so that you eventually get cards in your deck that you can play against other people and not fail out. But um, it's, it's still such a... It's still such a surprisingly limited way to look at uh, talking with another person. And I feel like 75% of the time, I was replacing a card with the exact same card. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You can also only play, I discovered this, you can only take cards that you saw another person play. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can have bad situations where you, you know, when, um, you know, with the musician lady, you know, she played one card and that conversation failed. So all I could do was take the one card that she played that failed the conversation and incorporate it into my set, into my own deck. So it was sort of like, what is occurring in that moment? You know, like, why am I, if I have a conversation with someone and they say one thing that, you know, ends the conversation, I'm not going to take that and make it a part of my communication style, mm-hmm. you know, um, it is it is a very strange you know it just sort of creates sort of a strange thematic bit you know mm-hmm. um that like con- conversing with everyone is sort of like a, a you know a contagion in a way that like changes you um 
and you can't do anything about that. But, like, actually, you can talk to a lot of people and obtain nothing from them, <laughs> not be changed in any way. And it's, it's, um, it's interesting because, like, one, also other people aren't changed by you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also had those instances where I just got one card as an option and conversations where I succeeded because of my chatters deck where <laughs> I just didn't let people talk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, other, the other characters in the game are changed by the circumstances that occur in the game, but they're not visibly changed by anything that you do, which I think is another way in which you don't, your actions don't feel like they have much of an impact on the world or the characters. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can be someone's best friend. You can be talking, I mean, your best friend in the game, Elias, that man does not change anything about himself uh, throughout the whole game. He is... He has an empathy deck. Um, he plays like two, uh, the empathy deck being the the circles. He plays like two triangle cards and he has accommodate cards. And he's like that the whole game. Um, and it is strange to be like, here's my best friend. He's just kind of like this all the time. Um, <laughs> we talk all the time. We've been friends for 10 years. Never changes. Never changes in response to anything that I do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it... I think it ends up making that relationship feel a little, like, unbalanced, you know? Because here's me, the player character. I'm, you know, going around. I'm sort of... My my deck, which represents my sort of personality in a way, is changing a lot and reacting. Um, and he feels very static um, in a way yeah. that, you know, probably intentional. Um, but sort of makes the ending I got where Elias literally walks into, he has a very funny conversation in my ending where he walks into the store 10 years later and goes, gee, isn't it great how best friends we've been, how best, best buddy, best friends we've been, even though, uh, even though, uh, you know, we had this thing in the prologue where we fought over the locket, uh, gee, didn't the narration say that was sure really tough on our friendship, but we got through it, um, He's like, we even got through the part where you forgot to get me an instrument on your second trip. And I was like, whoa, hold on. I didn't forget <laughs> shit. <laughs> First of all, weird weird thing to hold on to for 10 years, buddy. Uh, especially because at the time he assured me it was okay. At the time the game's narration assured me it was okay. Okay, well that and that feels like, for once, acu- actual representation of conversations I've had. <laughs> <laughs> but the only reason I didn't get this dude his instrument is because the I misinterpreted the game UI. Um I would have gotten him his instrument. I would have gladly gotten him his instrument, but it the game was just like, no, you don't get his instrument. <laughs> yeah. Um played out a little bit differently for me where ten years later we had basically moved together to um Althurst in order to set up a new um store and it was doing pretty well. And he had a whole conversation like, hey, remember that time when we, uh, when I played the viola um, at this restaurant? That was good, wasn't it? So I guess that, that feels a little bit more natural, like thinking back on fond memories than the whole situation. It's like, hey, remember that thing 10 years ago where you kind of fucked me over there? Thanks for that. But we're still friends. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a very, just, it was a very, I think it was just a moment of sort of uh, clumsy writing because he mm-hmm. sort of just recapped everything that I had experienced, like, mm-hmm. you know, not five minutes ago, mm-hmm. and it just felt very robotic, you know? Yeah, I, I, it also felt kind of robotic to me, because the ending I got was we moved to Pachenko um, and set up a shop there, 
Um, and he's like, man, it really has been great here. The circle's been so supportive. We've kind of turned this place back into a home for art in a way that it was sort of turning into a home for capitalism instead. This is great. But gosh, I wonder if there are other endings that we could have gotten. And I'm like, this is kind of on the nose, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll... I just think about the way the circle stuff went, by the way. Like, um, the way that it played out for me, at least, was that um, they were not fans of me by the end, but... Um, I kind of found out that my mother was actually responsible for establishing the circle, um, with Marquez and this one person who was so traumatized by the circle that they gave up their name and identity. Mm -hmm. And essentially they were sent to the specific, uh, town, um, that Hara. Hara, yeah, that was basically their water had dried up. So it was like... Oh yeah, if you go over there, you could really reestablish it, but they were more or less sent over there to kick everyone out so that uh, the Rilkers could mine it for resources, and now it's a completely um, dead town. Yeah, the, um, I, yeah, I felt that was sort of a strange plot line, um, in that you, so... The Rilkers. Um, did any of you talk to a Rilker in your games? Because I never saw one. Yeah, I saw some at the farm. The Rilk- It seemed like the Rilkers were like a company. Yeah, they're sort of like a family that they're like, they're the Waltons, basically, mm-hmm. right? Like they're a very rich family that has a lot of, um, like a huge amount of wealth um, and are sort of throwing their weight around a lot. Um, but if, you know, um, I didn't see any of them though. Um, and it was just sort of, it was sort of like an odd plot line because they're very faceless. Um, but also they were sort of like faceless, omnipresent, but also they were like clearly due to the events of the game had sort of weakened their power a lot in the air in the region but that also wasn't quite acknowledged you know Mm. like after the cataclysm so the rilkers are up in this village in this town called old mare um where they have built sort of these this giant like tower complex for themselves and Uh, there are a bunch of quick question did Mm -hmm. anyone manage to get into that fucking town yeah i did (laughs) i did the second time but then the first time i think you're scripted uh... to lose the first time because i i tried really hard to get in (laughs) that first time um and it was significantly easier to hang around in that town afterwards i believe the first time you go you were supposed to get turned back yeah the, the second time it was like i still lost the conversation but the guard was like uh who the fuck cares I- <laughs> okay so you're definitely <laughs> supposed to just fail the first time and get in the second time um i actually didn't go t- to old mare until my very last trip so oh. Um, well, actually, not. I I went uh, to Old Mare once before the cl- the cataclysm, and then a second time my very last trip. So, around that time was also when um, the robots that were working for the Rilkers ended up uh, forming a union and started striking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a similar thing happens in Old Mare, where the cataclysm is sort of a the cataclysm is a 
sort of um, accelerating force where a lot of the resentment against them and the way that they've been hoarding resources is sort of like, you know, starts bubbling up. And as you go, it's sort of like, well, you know, everything is very, you know, things are very tense into like there's fighting in the streets into like, you know, the last time I went it said like, oh, you know, things are very destroyed. You know, the guard who was there is not there anymore. Um, and, you know, the kid that you can talk to is like, yeah, man, I'm about to become a real a real career revolutionary, dude. Check me out. Um, <laughs> and it so it was weird every time I would go to Old Mare and it's like, oh, the Rilker's positions are getting worse and worse. Um, hmm. And then everywhere else in the world, they were sort of the same sort of omnipresent thing, you know? Um, in my final conversation with Nadine, she says like, yeah, the, the Rilkers are going to really put pressure on us because I'm keeping Bartow on the map, but we're, we're going to stand up to them. Um, which was a weird thing to say, given that it seemed like they were sort of really dealing with, um, really dealing with like a, an angry mob pounding on the doors of their castle. And really it was, you know, it didn't really, I don't know, the, the sort of resolution of their plot didn't seem to make as much sense. Um, mm. and given the fact that you, you didn't really see, I think I only talked to, I don't, I think I only talked to two characters who were really like Rilkers aligned. So they felt like an antagonist that didn't really have much of a presence in the story, mm. but can still screw over your town in the end. You know, um, I don't think their sort of threat was communicated very satisfyingly. I went um, to Old Moray so. twice. I was turned away both times, and I was like, fuck this place. I'm never coming back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not great. Um, I I feel like there is a... I was following the caravan route for most of the game, and I feel like there's definitely a point where it starts to taper off um, in terms of, like, it feels worthwhile to go to these places and old moray is about the point at which i was like i started turning around after mm-hmm. old moray because i was like well the things after here i'm gonna be so fatigued that i'm not gonna have a chance to talk to people and even when i did struggle through some of those conversations it was like there was no like reward you're just talking um, to a bunch of fucking diamond square people uh look oh mm-hmm. look it's the union who only respects force because they're all squares you know how unions are. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to talk a bit about the sort of um, the sort of like view, view or like the the game's sort of perspective on capitalism because it's definitely something the game is invoking, um, but something that I felt was a little confused you know, or maybe not necessarily clear. It's still sort of something I'm working for. Um, you know, obviously the Rokers are the antagonists of the game. Um, you know, they are these sort of giant, it's like giant capitalist family that is, um, you know, destroying communities. Um, but at the same time, your, your caravan, um, your caravan is also engaging in a lot of the same activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty clear that your mo- and, uh, it, you know, like Jen said in the sort of establishment of the circle, your mom at one point was a business partner of the Rokers, um, and sort of had a falling out with them after she <laughs> unknowingly destroyed a community for them. Um, that happens a few times. Um, there's a conversation in Anka with Nadine, 
um, where she's sort of like, yeah, this place used to be a lot different. And then we, you know, it sort of word of it was spreading around because of the caravan. And now a bunch of business people are here and it sort of sucks. Um, yeah, people hate your mom around here. Don't go advertising that you're her kid. Um, so it was sort of these two different different sort of the ways in which like economic practice just you know can like harm and destroy communities um um and the game sort of seemed to have a clear like antipathy towards the way that the rilkers work and sort of i um uh you know a clear heartedness about the ways that like nadine's sort of brand of like you know traveling merchant it uh, deal is not entirely a good thing for people um but then your shop is like another degree of it right where like you'll talk to the i can't remember the name of the the, the like the cook dude in town like your your mom's samuel friend. I think. yeah you'll talk to samuel and he'll be like hey it would be really great if you could bring back some dried foods i'm trying to start a co-op and you're like sure i'll sell those to you friend yeah it's like huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your your shop is also never a bad thing for your community, you know? Uh-huh. It is it is sort of the Roker, you know, the Roker sort of conglomerate capitalism is bad. But your humble little shop, you know, is always Ramir, who's another character in the caravan, sort of says this sarcastically. He's like, I don't care how much of a community institution your shop is, dude. Um you know, but your the shop is always good. You know, they several characters say like the only reason that Bartow is alive is because your shop exists. Um, and given that the portrayal of the caravan in general was more complicated, I was sort of looking for a you know more of a muddled effect of the thing that your character specifically was doing, but that never really comes through, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, my character was always a force for good um, in in the world. Um, even though for a while I was really palling around with Marquez in the circle, you know? It wasn't really like, you know, nothing really bad happened because of that. Um, and it just, it, it felt like a weird sort of disconnect between, like, everyone else is capable of doing outright or unintentional evil. I'm fine, though. I'm good. I'm just a little cattier, dude. (laughs) Yeah, the only time I really felt... The the only time I really felt like the caravan might have something good going for it is, like, immediately after the disaster, Nadine doesn't return to pick you back up, and you go on a little trip to figure out where the caravan is, and... It turns out they're over in Clifton and they're like, yeah, we're going to stay here this round just because things are really bad over here and we're going to do our best to gather materials and help them rebuild here. Mm -hmm. I mean, like the, the caravan is it, the caravan is sort of a more complicated figure because it, it, you know, it keeps towns like Bartow, like thriving in a sense, but it also, you know, ruin some towns. Um, but also, like, Abukamboro gets the railroad through it and starts really booming, and that's just fine. Like, everyone's like, <laughs> uh, wow, Abukamboro's gonna go great. Um, well, it's because Matilda's the fucking best. It's because Matilda's just chilling. <laughs> oh, she's so funny. I love the part, I love, 
Hmm? She's so great. She's she's my favorite character in the game. I love the part where she's like, yeah, I lie if I get a bad reading on somebody's tarot thing. Man, I'm not. She's like, I'm not trying to have that right now. My, she, uh, did you? Uh, she's gay. Did you guys get that line? Um, she talks about how, uh, well, she talks about doing a bad reading for her girlfriend. Yes. Whose mom died that week and is like then she said i was a cause of the bad luck and i'm just not trying to have that um did you get the conversation where she talks about doing a reading for the character's mom i think i did yeah but i forget exactly how that conversation went she's like it really sort of unfolds in a very funny way another one of those like very ridiculous conversation moments where she's like yeah i remember your mom really chill lady always came through always got the matcha and then one positive bubble later, she's like, yeah, I would always ask for a reading too. Really sweet, kind woman. And then the last bubble is like, weird readings though. All the tea leaves always formed a perfect circle. No idea what that's about. Anyway. <laughs> uh, did, yeah. did, um, did you two find um, William in the game? Um... Name does not ring a bell, no. Um, so in the sort of like final trip when I started getting a lot of mom backstory all of a sudden, um, I talked to um Haruto, um in um uh Ramina, I think is the name of the town. Um, the the vinegar brother, and he is like, Oh yeah, I can't believe I nearly forgot. You're the you're the um I knew your mom back in the day. And you're like, oh, yeah? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. She always used to come to the vineyard back when we made wine instead of, um, uh, back when we made wine instead of vinegar. It was a real popular date spot. And she's like, and he's like, yeah, your mom always had someone with her. Usually that guy. Um, and then he's like, what was his name? What was his name? And then when you get the conversation positively, he goes, yeah, yeah, that guy she was always with in like, I think he lives in like per se or something. His name's like Billiam or something. Um, so I was like, <laughs> I was like, damn, am I going to am I going to meet my dad? Um, so you can go to per se and meet this guy, William. And he tells you um, he he is he is like the player character's mom's like first first love basically um the game does a really funny but also kind of mean bait and switch where um will like your character had a dad the whole the whole time um and knew their dad and their dad just sort of passed away apparently but that is not revealed until you talk to william Mm. who the, huh. the game really the game really sets you up to to be like oh shit is this my dad am i gonna talk to my dad and william's like yeah i knew your mom back in the day knew her right up until she married your dad anyway <laughs> um well wow. I, I also believe she was cheating on the dad like it's a little ambiguous but william's like yeah we you know i we were sort of dating until she moved and then met your dad and then she was with your dad for a while and then she started coming through on the caravan and like started stopping by here and it's ambiguous like you know it's it he doesn't outright say that they were having an affair but it it definitely reads like oh that she was having an affair um huh um and i i 
think it was an interesting, like, I think in the end, even though I wasn't trying to get any info on the mom, really, I think she had sort of an interesting portrayal. Um, I think it is like a, it's a sort of like satisfying way that like you, you know, when you're a kid, you have a very one dimensional conception of your parents. And then sometimes you find out, you know, you can find out some things that really complicate the picture. And she does end up being this sort of very, very sort of like multifaceted, like complicated, um, character who, um, had a lot of, like, good relationships with people in the world, and a lot of people who swear that, like, she was a, the best thing since sliced bread. Um, uh, but she did a lot of shit in her life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and may have been doing shit up until the moment that she died. Because um, William has a line that, like, yeah, and then, like, you know, she was stopping by every so often, and then eventually she just stopped coming through at all and wasn't even with the caravan. So that's when I started thinking something was wrong. Um it's like an it's an interesting conversation uh, that he that you can have with that guy. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't really get any deep revelations with this person, but uh, I really sympathized with uh, Ramir. Um, the more I talked with him, just I understand that mindset of being like, "Yeah, I'm originally from your town. Fuck this town." <laughs> like, uh, there's a bit where he's you see him for. You don't see his face very often in Barto, but um, one of the moments when I did, he was just like, "Yeah, I don't get why you keep coming back here. Like, if my if my original hometown, if my original house was still standing and I had to step into my bedroom, I'd probably light it on fire." <laughs> it's like, yeah, I definitely get that mood. I definitely get um, being like, "Oh, this past is terrible, and I just want to go anywhere." Well, for else. me, it was like, "Then why are you here?" <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because it's because Ramir's a very confused kind of guy, you yeah. know. Um, that was one of the things that I found very charming about him was he was very he was very say one thing, do the other thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't deny that he's legitimate antipathy for the town, but he still comes every time, you know. You we've you know you see throughout the game that he does like he does you know wander off from the caravan and go his own way, so. It's pretty clear that if he wanted to just not go to Barto, he 100% could just not go to Barto. But he comes back every time, you know, because he has really complicated feelings about the place. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I love his I love his pet snakes. That was a great conversation <laughs> where he talks about, like, I really identify with the snake, that noble, slithering little bastard. <laughs> he was great. Um, he's a, a real character, and I was very... I mean, part of the reason why I liked the caravan was I think, like, Nadine and Ramir ended up being, like, two of, like, the most interesting characters for me to talk to. Fucking Nadine. <laughs> she, just be- she just became my rude mom, my rude second mom by the end is the thing. Aside from that one really weird conversation I had in the end, um, in the ending where she doesn't destroy your town, she, she, like, walks into your shop and she's like, I won't say I'm impressed. But this is pretty good. She did that to me like, too, just... and then she shut it down. She's <laughs> yeah. she's she is my she is she is my second mom who was like, listen, if you get A's for the period, I'll buy you a PS2. And I got straight A's, and she was like, mm, sorry, no PS2. I just don't feel like it. Fuck you, Nadine. <laughs> That's how moms are sometimes. <laughs> Give though. me my fucking. But she's PS2. valid for that. <laughs> 
we briefly touched on Thunder before, but uh, there is a sixth symbol in the game, and that is just going up to Thunder and all of his symbols, since he's a dog, are paw prints. And rainbow paw prints. Yeah, rainbow paw prints, and regardless of what you play, he can just bounce off it too, and you... You just have completely positive conversations with this dog, and then he takes away some of your stress, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very funny last uh, trip, because I think it's random whether you can talk to Thunder or not. Um, again, not something that I think should be randomized. But at the beginning of the last trip, he showed up in every single town. And then again, I hit Old Moray, and Thunder is nowhere. Mm. Despite in fiction riding in your truck, like, just... No, Thunder's not Thunder's not doing anything. He's not around. He's not feeling um, this town. And it was, you know, so I ended up I ended up still 10 fatigue cards when I went back to the <laughs> town and had to talk to Nadine about the fate of the whole town. Um weird conversation. Yeah, it was really just like, you know, you're having a conversation but for plot reasons you can't mess it up. So even if you do mess it up, Nadine's like, "All right, you little weirdo, but you're still you're on you're on the route though." Uh, yeah, and likewise, that final conversation for me played it perfectly, but she's like, yeah, no, we're shutting you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is like, I, I'm i not at, like, there were several other points, you know, where it was like, not clear if I could influence people, what I would want to do if I wanted to try to influence people, um... Because there were conversations both with Tomas the painter and um, Gull the guard for the Rilkers, where it sort of seemed like I could influence them to either move or stay um, in their town. But then the conversation results that I got didn't seem to like make make sense with what they ended up doing. And I'm not sure if I could have influenced them or not. Um, so yeah, just a sort of weird... I don't know. I I really think the conversation system is rough in this game, and I think it needed a few revisions in order to, like, really allow, like, the degree of, like, expressivity and, like, themes, I guess, that it's trying to get across, you Mm know? Totally. It's also funny to me, uh, speaking of Tomas... Uh, because I was I was fairly buddy buddy with the circle on my on my first playthrough, um, I had the conversation with Tomas. I you know I went I went to Pachenko. I had the conversation with Tomas, and he was like, "Hey, I'm thinking of leaving." And I'm like, "Man, you should do it. You should get out of this town. Fuck this town." Uh, and then I talked to Marquez, and she's like, "I'm really worried that Tomas might leave." And I'm like, "Yeah, that does sound like a problem." And then I talked to Tomas again. And he was like, "Hey, I'm thinking of leaving." And I'm like, "You should stay. It rules here." And he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> uh, uh, it felt like it felt like I it felt like a clumsy like realizing that the systems were butting up against each other, but also it was funny, so it's fine. <laughs> And then it gets to, um, yeah, I also, like, accidentally convinced him to stay. And his ending is a little weird. I don't know. Like, um, yeah. I'm not really sure what the game, like, thinks about art. 
Nope. No idea. Yeah. Um, and also about like profit, I guess. I mean, that's sort of my some of my frustrations with the like Circle and Roker's plot is it's kind of like you know, um, the characters that you can talk to just sort of lament that like nebulous greed, you know, like oh, it's just the greed of people that corrupted the Circle and. Um, the Rokers are just sort of, like, greedy people. Um, but I'm a materialist. I'm not standing for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, like, I think one of the, I think one of the, like, flaws of the game is, like, not being able to communicate anything definitively as a player character, you know? Like, the conversation system does not allow you to say things to people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I think, another way in which you don't feel like you have a lot of impact on people. Because I think, like, even in an RPG that does not really try to, like, dig into the mechanics of conversation, you can still walk up to someone and they can say something and you can be like, that sounds stupid. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it is, that's sort of abstracted in this game in a way that's a little bit frustrating. Um yeah, like in a game that really stresses that life isn't about succeeding every single time, um, having your only two outcomes be success or failure when they're, the conversations have more dimension to it than that than those specific those specific two outcomes, that causes a big problem. Yeah, I don't even know what you would due to that system to really improve it beyond i think making the sort of failure states a little more forgiving um yeah i don't know it just i feel like it really needed more time in the oven so to speak Mm -hmm. um and didn't have that um yeah maybe if they had like an option when you're going into a conversation or mid-conversation where you can select where what your goal is for that conversation that would go a long way i think like going up to someone and be like okay i'm trying to buy something for them or i'm trying to get them to agree with us going this one way yeah like yeah i think that's good like an ability to select what your intentions are with people um because they're very i think as it is now you're you, you know you're very unclear you know, again, there is no way to sort of select your intentionality with a way like you can't lie to people, you know, you can't placate people, even though you don't like truly agree with them, you know, mm. it's missing these sort of ways of communicating um, from the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cute dog, though. Cute dog. <laughs> yeah, very cute dog. And they managed to do the whole Bork, Bork, or Woo thing without being obnoxious about it. (laughs) Which sometimes you see, sometimes you see games do sick doggo conversations that are just obnoxious, but here it's just incredibly charming. He just looks like a dog that doesn't bark at Borks. Um, yeah. I, I, I I was playing for like 15 minutes, another visual novel, which I bounced after the narrative voice referred to a character as small. 
SMLO. And I was just like, yeah, we're not going to get along here. We, we have different... Uh, mismatch. Mismatch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Played the yeah, wrong symbol there. Extremely the wrong symbol. Ah, uh, a little a, a bean symbol. They pl- I don't have those cards. They played in my the deck. bean, and you played grief, and then closed the game. <laughs> 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 uh, I uh, I don't know. I it's a it's like a game that I wanted to like a lot more than I liked. You know, there was a point at which I thought I was going to come to this podcast and be like, "Yeah, it's a game I'm going to play some more of. I want to do some more playthroughs and like see how things go and try out different cards." And in the end, I don't think the game actually sort of like has the ability for that to be satisfying, but I would like for it to be that satisfying, you know? Yeah, like if they if they kept more things consistent from playthrough to playthrough in terms of events that will happen and it was all and and it changing was all predicated on what you did or didn't do within the game that would feel a lot stronger to me than some things are just turned on or off on your playthrough and there's nothing you can really do about that yeah i think it is the sort of like if I had to give it a star rating, I said I would give it a 2 out of 5, which sounds really harsh, but it's the sort of 2 out of 5 that I've really been sort of turning over in my head and thinking about, and like, at the end, I I wish I enjoyed a lot more than it did. Um, I think it is... I think it is a 2 out of 5 that is a lot more worth playing and thinking about than certain, like, 4 out of 5 games, which are just kind of like, yeah, it's good. Don't have anything else to say about it, though, you know? Yeah, I think I'm in the same mm-hmm. spot. Yeah, I'm not going to give a Jen, star give rating a star to rated. it, but... Uh... <laughs> okay, uh, probably two around okay. five, then. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's... <laughs> Accommodation. <laughs> yeah, I, I played yeah, my I played two squares, there. and you were like, oh no, I don't have squares in my deck, I have to play Accommodate. <laughs> Oh, quick shout out! I feel quick like shout out real quick. Fuck, listen, the the most annoying ability. I hate when a character would play that. It's like now you have to play two cards. I'd be like, fuck wait, you, pl- wait, fuck what? You. <laughs> yeah, what listen. Is listen, it's an it's an ability where you play it and then the other person has to play two cards in a row. It's a reverse chatter. I've never saw that one. <laughs> Maybe huh, it's because okay. I didn't let people talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably yeah. it. No, you can only get you know you can only get cards that you see other people play. So if they they, if they don't play any cards, <laughs> you're not gonna. I feel like I would have been more positive on this game if, if it was slightly shorter. Like if it had one or two fewer trips, because it's it's just in that range of like a single playthrough takes around. Five to seven hours, I'd say. And um, if you cut that down just a little bit, going back in with a pl- with a second playthrough where things are slightly changed, that would be more accommodating to me. But uh, as is, it's just long enough that um, playing it all over again to try and get a more optimal outcome is a bit of work. Oh, yeah. Also, fuck little Basio. I hate that What a kid. shithead. I hate him so what a little much. little dick. He... 
He promised to give me a chocolate bar from the lady who died, and then I won the conversation and he didn't give me a chocolate bar. On my last yeah, trip. Yeah, he was just trying to, he on was my just last trying to trip. pickpocket you. On my last trip. And then he didn't even do it. He didn't even have the guts to do it. Coward. <laughs> I'll throw hands with that seven-year-old. <laughs> uh, yeah, like... Fuck Klaus, but also I wish I was on better terms with Klaus just because being friends with a um being friends with a woman with an eye patch and is and kinda sorta talks to distract you while stealing your shit. That that seems like kind of a fun character to get I, to get along with. You just like her because she flirted with you. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit, yeah. Also I never saw Klaus. Klaus just deleted from my game. Alexis mentioned her once and was just like, "She never." I didn't go to the desert oasis, so I guess I never saw her. Uh, you you originally encountered her. Well, at least I and I think Jen originally encountered her in the same vidi, vi, uh, city as Alexis, as I think Bacaw. But um, yeah. So I had I also he, she also stole my painting, but at that point it was my second trip, and I was like, oh, "Okay, you stole that painting." <laughs> Tomas will give me another painting if I look at him weird. Like, <laughs> fucking have fun with that, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, th- I uh, think it was a number thing. They just, they just took the the game just turned off the Klaus button. Yeah, I actually encountered her in Clifton, so slightly different location than huh. Six. No, no, Cl- Clifton is where Alexis is. Oh, sorry, so that's what I meant. That's, yeah, I, I just got yeah, mixed up. So that's where that's where Klaus should mm-hmm. be. Um. Well, anyway, um, we do have a question sent in. Uh, this one's from Kyrie. Uh, I'll keep this short and sweet. Do you feel that the card matching system works to simulate conversation or does it get in the way? Do you feel that the system should be more abstract or specific in successful commus- conversation simulators? Uh, that's mostly what yeah. we've been talking about. So, Yeah. But if the in the more abstract or more specific question, I think I needed to be more specific. I think the the conversation system is too broad in a way that I feel have said, you know, erases a lot of the nuance of like how I have experienced conversation to be with people. And so rings a little bit hollow, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I want to take this moment to kind of shout out a different deck building conversation game I played earlier this year, Grifflands. Um, I, that one has a little bit more going to it mechanically, just because, like, you're playing a specific character, you can choose one of several characters who have their own goals and campaigns, and, um, essentially, you can interact with people in one of two ways, either you're fighting with them, or you're basically getting into a conversation with them where you're trying to win the conversation, and... The specific cards you play kind of match specific, kind of match specific things you do within an, a conversation. Like um, it, it's it's written similarly to kind of like chatter or observe or listener things like that. But uh, I feel like the cards there are more specific in a way that the symbols here aren't. Yeah. So I feel like I got a better hang of what I was trying to do in each conversation than I did in this game yeah i think maybe like changing the rules of how conversations work to represent different kinds of conversations Mm. i'm realizing that like the fact that each conversation like mechanically has the same rules is 
again, I think a little flat for what the thing is. I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird thing to talk about, like the mechanization of conversation, because I think games do a lot of like mechanization of violence um, in ways that are very clunky, you know. Um, but I don't know. It feels a lot more obvious when you play a game that is trying to like simulate conversation and it doesn't work versus like. I don't know, a game where it's like, I'm going to kill a spider by clicking on it. Well, here's the thing is we have a lot of experience <laughs> talking to people. I have never ripped out a Cyclops's eye. So if you're if you're like, this is an accurate record representation of what it's like to rip out a Cyclops's eye, I'm like, sure, okay. I'd buy that. <laughs> we got to get... <laughs> I'd buy that while um, taking I mean, a I mean, I don't steps buy back. that because it's probably God of War <laughs> and I don't think those games are very good, but you know. Okay. All right. Um, is there anything else to say about Signs of the Sojourner? Uh, meeting sojourned. Made the joke again. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I will mention is that uh, for me at least, I had access to the game because I got the itch bundle um, for racial justice uh, earlier in the year. So if anyone else just wants to give it a try, like... And you got that bundle. You already have this game, so it's something you could easily turn on and check. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to make make more of an effort to like go go through all of those games because, uh, despite this very much not being a year for like tackling a, a mountain of over a thousand games, I do want to I do want to take a more more look at that whole bundle than I have been able to give it previously. Mm. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I'm trying to come back for next episode with like, yeah, I played one of those like smaller visual novels they have. Yeah. And there's a specific one I'm blanking on the name, but it's basically an RPG where you're controlling Uh, soldiers within. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. It's, I'm really interested in that one. So I'm kind of waiting until it's completely finished before taking a look, but it's something I definitely I'm thinking about maybe covering on the show at some point if mm-hmm. other people are interested. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing next episode? So, um, next we're going to be going into Return of the Obra Dinn, which is uh, by Lucas Pope, um, who did Papers, Please a few years before that. It's a first-person murder mystery more or less except your main goal is to identify everyone on the ship and how they died and uh, yeah you're basically going through back and forth through time to watch what happened get a better idea for who they were and uh, I will say up front bring a journal to this one just because you'll want to take notes yeah I got a notebook I got a notebook ready to go I also want to say up front um (laughs) If the game has some content um there are creatures later in the game like up front you are never in any risk at any point in this game you are only ever viewing memories you are fine however there are times at which it gets kind of scary judging by the things you're seeing and especially with the art styles representation of these creatures that are very spider-like if you have you know acrophobia it could trigger that and if you just are generally a horror baby i mean i made it through the game and i love the game but it is 
kind of stressful at times. I'm a horror baby, but also I'm literally playing World of Horror right now. So <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go do. I'm gonna do it. Yeah, that, that's one I've been meaning to check out a little bit as well. But yeah, um, I'm excited to actually finish Return of the Oberdin just because at a certain point I had been away from it long enough that uh, coming back to it and figuring out exactly where I was seemed like a insurmountable task. So starting fresh, it's exciting. And if you have any questions about that game or... Signs of the Sojourner, you can basically send an email to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Make sure to include novel not new or something like that in the subject line. And we'd love to read your questions and comments. Basically about anything, really. As long as it's about one of the games we've covered or maybe even a game that you'd like to see us cover. If you want to message us and ask about milkshakes, we can handle that. (laughs) indeed so um to close things up uh where can people find you olivia uh you can find me on twitter at great grebe um uh where you can also find uh my other podcast that i do um we are the champions which is a podcast that i feel like people don't understand we're just looking at league of legends characters and like looking at their lore and then like talking about it um, uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> I feel like I've talked to a lot of people lately who are like, wait, so what is that podcast? I don't know. We just pick a League of Legends champion, read the lore and be like, wow, this is stupid. Or like, wow, this guy rules. Yeah, it's not, it's not that complicated, honestly. It's just like, oh, look, it's, look, it's a funny little dude. Mm-hmm. We got a really good guy uh, coming up next week. Just the, a true hero of League of Legends. Does Riot Games know they've written a hero? No, they think they've written a villain, but he is a hero. <laughs> yeah, I think that stuff was also somewhat complicated by all of the shit that happened around a, one of their fictional characters earlier this month. Oh, yeah, but, we, uh... we did a Seraphine episode. I got real mad on the Seraphine episode. Um,. But that's how the podcast goes. One episode, you just tell Riot Games to fall into the ocean and die. And then in the next one, you talk about a League of Legends character and be like, this guy rules. They don't know he rules, but he rules. In fact, they try. In fact, they've given him a bunch of like autism coding to try to make him seem bad. But that only makes him cooler. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is a thing. This is a thing that I've noticed with League of Legends. Um, surprising that we got it two times in a row, but you know. Uh, if nothing else, uh, League of Legends is very um, uncritically reflecting the prejudice of its writers into their characters. Cool. That sounds great. <laughs> How about you, Six? Uh, where are you on the internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Six Detmar, S-I-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R, and my work is found at ScanlineMedia.com or Patreon.com slash ScanlineMedia. Yeah. And you can pretty much find me in all the same places. And uh, we have been doing some interesting ups and downs within Oopsal Anime recently, which you can check out on our Patreon. Um, I'm somewhat cackling over the next show we're going to cover, but uh, we'll get to that when we get to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we sure will. 
But yeah, that's going to do it for us. And uh, until next time. Meeting Sojourn. <laughs> yeah, we don't really have much of a sign. Quick save. <laughs> Quick save indeed. Hit, hit middle mouse and then the UI drops away and you can look at the background art. Oh, I actually did think of it. Okay, I'll tell you guys <laughs> off mic. Right. Anyway, peace. <laughs> Later.